0: So glad to see you've stopped in again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I see you are the type that likes to look around and peruse the bizarre and the unusual, and I think I have something that is just perfect for you, and something that uh, may give you a little insight to how Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop came to be. Let me open this uh, little chest here and going to pull out yes this is an old crown uh, very very simple nothing too ornate or elegant about it but it is, is a crown that uh that holds great power you know what? anyone who wears the crown has that sort of power and that sort of power does not come cheap of course if you put this crown on your head you'll conjure visions of rabid dogs blood-soaked prom queens haunted hallways fangs and a Bloody Child's Shoe. Yes, this is the crown worn by one author, Stephen King, who is a huge influence here at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Of course, uh, I'm Chris Baker, your shopkeeper. And uh, one of the reasons I started this podcast was because of my love of Stephen King. And Stephen King really uh, didn't start my fascination with the, uh, with the supernatural, with the horrific, with the scary. But uh, once I discovered Stephen King... Uh, that's when my love of, of all things horror and all things unusual and all things bizarre and supernatural and uh, and that sort of thing really kind of took off. Born in the mid-70s, growing up in the 80s, you couldn't help at that time but uh, but know Stephen King, even if you didn't know Stephen King. And, and right off the bat, uh, as a child growing up, I was not fully aware of Stephen King, who he was, but I knew A lot of his properties i'd heard a lot of his movies not even knowing that's a stephen king movie you know you heard about carrie you heard about cujo uh one of my first and most frightening experiences as a child was children of the corn. Uh, we lived beside a cornfield in rural Pennsylvania and my cousins would come over and we'd all play hide and seek at the cornfield. And my one, one of my older cousins would start, uh, yelling out, uh, God knows what about uh, Malachi and Isaac and just scare the bejesus out of uh, myself and probably my younger sister as well. But, uh, but you know probably children of the corn uh i had not seen it at that time because i was too scared to because i i kind of heard bits and pieces from older cousins of what the the movie was like but uh but i think that probably was uh one of the first stephen king movies i had had seen there in the the mid-80s of course that movie came out in 84 so i probably saw it around 85 86 and uh you know, it was everything it lived up to be. It was creepy. It was, uh, you know, it's not exactly like the short story, which I came to read later in life. Like I said, when I saw this, I didn't even realize it was Stephen King. Uh, but, but it was one of those things where, you know, these, these kids take over this town, kill all the adults. And, you know, he who walks uh, behind the rose, that sort of thing, <laughs> living next to a cornfield. That's, that's some frightening stuff. And it was, you know, all kind of laid the foundation for my my love. I already had a good, healthy love of all things scary. You know, I, as I said in our, our welcome uh, podcast that I grew up loving Halloween, loving being scared. I, you know, uh, I didn't, uh, I, it was one of those odd uh, juxtapositions where I, I liked and I I'd sought out being scared, scary movies, scary things, scary pictures, uh, scary books. But once I was scared, I did not like it at all. I was constantly afraid of the dark, afraid of things that go bump in the night. And I guess the I, I don't know if it's a, you know the thing that uh, doesn't kill you makes you stronger. If I, if I thought I could survive uh, these tales that maybe would make me stronger in my fear of all these things in the real world. Who knows? But uh, Stephen King was a huge part of that foundation early on uh, with some of the movies that, uh, that I grew up watching. And even like I said, even though I didn't realize it was Stephen King at the time, uh, you know some of the first movies I saw: Children of the Corn, uh, Silver Bullet. Uh, my best friend growing up, he uh, he, I think he was a, a Stephen King fan because I remember later him pointing out, "Oh, this is Stephen King and that's Stephen King." And uh, I, I didn't know him to to read Stephen King, but I, I know he did. Uh, in hindsight, I, I know he did because I always saw him reading things like The Running Man, which is Bachman aka Stephen King but uh, I remember uh, Silver Bullets him you know we're renting this it's one of those weekend movies you're spending the the weekend at your best friend's house or he's staying at your house and you you got to rent some movies so uh, we we rented Silver Bullet, and I remember hearing him saying that's Stephen King and it didn't mean anything to me at the time I just knew it was a a scary uh, werewolf movie (laughs) <laughs> and, of course, Maximum Overdrive. I remember being at the video store. We we're picking out movies to watch for the weekend. And uh, he said, you know, this is a Stephen King story. And uh, I, okay, yeah, whatever. Whatever. Uh, I, all I noticed was ACDC to the soundtrack on it. That's what caught my eye. I was more into movies uh, or actually music and, and rock and roll at that time and of course that came out in 86 so I was really kind of getting into metal uh, in those years and uh, was a real big ACDC fan but uh, uh, the love of Stephen King was kind of set with movies like that even though even though Maximum Overdrive uh, that is, uh, that's tricky ground when you talk to King fans because Stephen Stephen King wrote and directed it, uh, but he was coked out of his gourd. And the movie, uh, day, movie, I don't know if the movie suffered because of it. Uh, he was a first-time director. I don't really know as if he knew exactly what he was doing. And, you know, like any like any writer will tell you, uh, they want to keep adding. They keep wanting to do things that they want to do. They need a good editor to kind of, you know, trim things up. I don't know if he had that when he was, you know, when, when the King... <laughs> when the guy who wears the crown is calling all the shots and not held accountable, you're going to get things that maybe aren't, uh, up to certain standards that others would hold. And, uh, well, I certainly, I like maximum overdrive based on the short story trucks, which we'll kind of get into here in a little bit when we start talking about books, but, uh, it, it was different than the it was different than the short story, and I can forgive that because Stephen King, you know, wrote this, and uh, I, I can forgive that. Uh, there's some other things that that, that kind of were cheesy, kind of campy. But if you look back on it now, and you look at it with you know the camp goggles. If you will, uh, I, I really like Maximum Overdrive. It's it's one of my one of my favorites. Just the whole concept and the big you know the big Green Goblin truck. Uh, that is uh, that is horror iconography that uh, you don't get these days, and I love it. But uh, Maximum Overdrive there in '86, I remember watching that. Uh, remember watching The Running Man. That, like I said, my best friend was reading The Running Man book, and I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. But then the movie came out with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and of course, I liked uh, the action flicks at the time too. So big Arnie fan. Uh, Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer, Red Sonia, all those movies. That, you know, I was, you know, if you were a, a kid. In the 80s, uh, you liked Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. I don't care who you are. But uh, but The Running Man, again, uh, not knowing it was Stephen King, but, uh, but really into And there again, it's another one where the the movie... Is a lot different from the book, but it's kind of one of those gateway things. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of these movies were gateways into Stephen King. You may not have known that they were Stephen King at the time, but as you got older, as I got older, and found out, oh, Children of the Corn—that's a Stephen King short story. Yes, please, I'll take that. And uh, you know, it's kind of those things that open your eyes to uh, a bigger world that you don't even know is more monstrous than you could ever imagine. But uh, but I grew up watching a lot of those movies uh, that uh, that came out there in the 80s. That was kind of a boom for Stephen King uh, as far as uh, adaptations of his books and short stories. And then kind of as I got older, you know, I, I was never much of a reader as a kid growing up. You know, I liked, uh, I, I tried, I tried to read, I tried, you know, getting Tolkien from the from the school library, the Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I tried that. I tried, uh, the Dragonlance, uh, series, the Weiss and Hickman, Dragonlance, uh, books. I, I would take them home and I would skim through, but I just wasn't a reader. Uh, not as much as I wanted to be, but it wasn't until high school that, uh, I think the first Stephen King book I ever got was in high school. They were having a book fair in the library. I had, uh, I got a f- had a few bucks on me and I'm looking through trying to find something and there is a copy that uh, just kind of stood out to me. It was bizarre. It was this hand that was wrapped in in gauze and had these eyes in the hand in the fingers and it was the copy of Night Shift. And I'm like, "Okay, Stephen King Night Shift." Ah, you know it it was kind of one of those things where as i got older and got into my teenage years i became more into horror uh into slasher flicks uh into to scarier things i'm like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna try reading you know i was always more of a visual person and an audio type person but i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna try reading this book and it's short stories, so you know I don't have to invest a lot of time into it. Uh, I'm gonna check out this book. So I bought the book for like a few bucks. I can't remember how much exactly it was, probably five dollars at the time. And wow, just opened my eyes to Stephen King. And if you want to talk about gateway drugs and gateways into Stephen King, I think his short stories are a great place to do just that because they're again, like I said, if you don't want to invest a ton of time into reading a whole novel. Uh, you get Stephen King. And I think some of his best stuff is done in short story. Uh, you know, Stephen, I, I've listened to a lot of interviews that King has done, and he's he's like, you know, authors want to add. They want to keep adding things. And sometimes uh, it, it can be a little too much. It can be a lot of unnecessary things. So we'll get it kind of into that with the stand. But, uh, but with the short stories, you know, uh, a lot of them are, are short, sweet, to the point, and written so well, and the horror, you know, it's amazing, Uh, you know, I think horror works in short bursts, works best in short bursts, because if you, uh, you know, like in a movie, if you keep uh, the camera too long on the monster, you start seeing the flaws in the makeup, and in the uh, prosthetics, and in the the CG, and all that, and it's not quite as scary, Uh, but when you get short bursts of that, where you're not quite sure what you saw, it's happened so fast. I think that's that's where horror can work its best, and I think that's kind of in short stories you get the uh, uh, get the literary version of that. And when I picked up uh, Night Shift, I, I started reading it as soon as I got home that day, and uh, you know it's it started off kind of a it was a slow burn for me, which you know you get Jerusalem's Lot, and I hadn't read Salem's Lot yet, so. Uh, I think in the notes in the back, because Stephen King in his short story books always does those little notes about each story and what kind of prompted it. And I think it was referenced to it being kind of a a prequel to Salem's Lot. But Jerusalem's Lot was so weird, uh, very... Very Lovecraftian, in a sense, with the worm and all of that. Uh, Night Shift was creepy, scary. Night Surf, there again, kind of the precursor to The Stand. Uh, I didn't really get it. I didn't get the Captain Trips reference, but... but, you know, it was what it was. I am the doorway. We're starting to get into that territory where it was like really bizarre king. And, and of course, that's uh, the image on the front of the book comes from that with the uh, the eyes on the hand. And it's just such a bizarre and creepy. And when you you find out that the, uh, you know, beings from another planet are kind of seeing through, it was just uh, very weird. Uh, the mangler was good, but that was such a an odd story where this machine kind of comes to life and just the imagery in my head of this machine coming to life and it was kind of bizarre but then when they got into the boogeyman the boogeyman to this date is probably one of my definitely top two favorite king short stories and we'll kind of get into the other one that is probably they're both tied for uh for top i'll just i'll say right now the mist uh the mist and the boogeyman Have to be my two favorite King short stories. Uh, I can't rank them. It's one A, one B. You pick which one goes where. But uh, the Boogeyman was such a frightening story. That's that's why I bought this book for stories like that that just scared the bejesus out of me. It's heartbreaking. It's heart wrenching. Uh, The guy, the main guy, is not a very sympathetic character in how he acts sometimes, but with what all he goes through and losing his kids um, to this boogeyman. And then the very end, just uh, so horrific. And uh, that's, I think that's probably what hooked me on King right there. Because he wrote, uh, he, he writes, he writes, he writes very good heroic characters, uh, Stu Redmonds, the David Drayton's uh, of the uh, King Cinematic, or the King Universe, a uh, literary universe, but he also writes very flawed heroes, and he writes them well. Uh, here's that maybe, you know, if it was under different circumstances, you probably wouldn't like the guy, but they're in such a, a situation, and they've had so much uh, thrown against them that you can't feel a little... A little sympathetic towards them, and and you're rooting for them uh, against these these insurmountable odds of facing off against this this creature uh, that uh, who knows where it's coming from. But uh, and then the, the twist end at the, at the very end of the book, uh, just like I said, this is what I was looking for. This is why I got into Stephen King, and uh, and then kind of after that, the the short story book just keeps getting better. Uh, You got Grey Matter, which I really loved. Battleground, which I thought was great, and they did a great adaptation in the Nightmares and Dreamscape's uh, series that came out. TV series on uh, was it TNT back in the '90s? Uh, Trucks, which was the what uh, uh, Maximum Overdrive was based on, and it was kind of one of those deals where I'm like, "Oh, this is this is Maximum Overdrive," sort of. It's not exactly the same, but. Same premise. Uh, Sometimes they come back. I know my brother and I really both like that. Uh, And then, of course, you got the brothers in it, and I think that kind of struck home with both of us. Uh, Strawberry Spring was kind of odd uh, because it wasn't a supernatural, uh, so to speak, wasn't a supernatural story, but it was still creepy and good. The ledge is great. Law and the was so bizarre, but but it worked. I, I, I liked it. Quitters Incorporated, another great one. Uh, of course, that and the ledge in Cat's Eye, which were I think were great adaptations. I know what you need was uh, was an interesting story. Uh, it kind of it, it felt. Uh, like it wasn't going to be supernatural at first, but then it, it really kind of dug into that. And I've I've heard some other uh, Stephen King podcasts. They kind of complained. I've had uh, different heard different reviewers complain that uh, that they didn't need it to be supernatural. They didn't need to have the the whatever uh, the Necronomicon. I think there was some other uh, magic books and the spell cast on this uh, female. They didn't need that. They just uh, thought it should be a creepy stalker guy. And that should have been enough uh, to make it scary. And I'm like, well, it's Stephen King, though. If it's Stephen King, you're expecting spells and curses and monsters and, and supernatural. If you want just a creepy st- a story about a creepy stalker, go watch a Lifetime original movie. Uh, because you're going to get all the creepy stalkers you want and no magic whatsoever. But this is Stephen King. And there's, there's a level of expectation that comes with it. You're expecting something supernatural. You're expecting things that go bump in the night. You're expecting the hand to sweep out from under the bed uh, as you're getting in. That's that's the kind of thing you get with Stephen King. And I liked that, you know, the guy was a creepy stalker guy and he's using black magic to uh, to get this girl to like him. And, you know, that that's Stephen King. So, you know, you got to... I, I, like I said I, I think some people uh, that like Stephen King just because it's cool to like Stephen King I like the creepy stuff but I don't want it all to be creepy I want it to be more based in reality and that's that's not Stephen King that's not that's not the horror genre so I, I have I have some. Like I said, there's a lot of Stephen King podcast out podcasts out there that I really love, even though I don't always agree with them. Uh, But that's the one thing I I really kind of I take issue with. You know, Uh, don't be upset if you're reading the Stephen King story and uh, there's supernatural elements to it. Uh, Don't be upset about that because that's that's what the playbill says. You know, you're getting that with Stephen King. But at any rate, I'll get off that soapbox. But Children of the Corn, another great... I, I like the adaptation, but I also love the short story because the short story is uh, much more uh, nihilistic. It's it's very good and it a very creepy and atmospheric story and... Uh, just a bleak story, which, you know, sometimes you like happy endings. You like the, like in the mist, you like the hope at the end of it. But, uh, but sometimes you, you know, that's, that's the reality thing. Sometimes things do go to, to pot and sometimes things don't work out where the hero wins. Sometimes the hero, uh, dies tragically, but, uh, last one on the ladder, uh, another great story. I didn't plan on going through all these stories and what my thoughts were on them, but, uh, Uh, but uh, the, here's that's where we're at right now. (laughs) Last story on the ladder, not a supernatural story there again. Maybe I was a little disappointed because it wasn't a supernatural story, but a very sad story, very emotional story. Uh, and and I, I like it more now than I did back then. The man who loved flowers again, not a supernatural story, but very creepy kind of along the lines of strawberry spring, uh, one for the road. Uh, I thought this was kind of cool because night shift, uh, it didn't bookend, the, the short stories with uh with Salem's Lot stuff but Jerusalem's Lot kicks it off and that's kind of a Salem's Lot prequel and one for the road is the penultimate uh story in this book and it's kind of a Salem's Lot sequel which I thought was really cool it's one of those where you'd like to read more about that and then we'll kind of get into that because uh because they're actually doing a Salem's Lot prequel show coming out uh, a little later, and I think uh, towards the end of August, uh, Chapelweight, which is based on the uh, Salem's Lot uh, short story. So kind of interested about that, and we'll be talking about that more here on Od- Odds Bodkin's uh, Curiosity Shop uh, as that uh, gets closer. I believe the 22nd of August is when it's coming out. But then it, anyway, it wraps up, uh, the short story wraps up with Woman in the Room. They're, again, not a... Not a supernatural story, but a horror of a different type. Uh, and again, very emotional. Uh, you know, these characters that you, just, uh, you, you can't help but uh, feel for them. And, and the horror that they're kind of thrust into. Uh, so, like I said, not going to get spoilery. Not going to go into too much depth on these. Because probably we'll save that for uh, future episodes. Where we talk about some of my favorite individual stories. And kind of break them down. Uh, some of my favorite individual books and break down uh, what I like and, and don't like about some of those. And uh, the adaptations, uh, usually most most anything Stephen King I, I like. I generally like because, you know, he's the author, he's the man. It's his story, and uh, I either connect with it or I don't. So I'm not going to say I would change this or that. Um, but adaptations, that's a different story, so we'll talk about that. But that was the first Stephen King. Night Shift was the first Stephen King uh, book. Uh, in this case a book of short stories that I read then after that would have been misery which uh, came out in 87 I believe uh, I actually bought that for my best friend I had, my family had moved to North Carolina at the time and uh, my best friend was still up here in Pennsylvania and uh, he was I by then he was uh, Openly into Stephen King. I knew he read The Stand. Uh, I knew he was reading a lot of other Stephen King, and he mentioned how he wanted to read Misery. So I got him the uh, paperback for Christmas, I was like, you know, I think I might. I like the short story book. I think I might like to to read Misery. And uh, Misery was another great great book. That's and that's like a a good situation where uh, there's nothing supernatural about Misery, really. Uh, but it is horror all the way. And, and I think that's proof that you don't need to have superna- supernatural aspects for something to be horrific and to be a horror story. And, and misery is, is a great case for that. Because of everything that goes on uh, with Paul Sheldon in that book, <laughs> it is some horrific stuff. Even the hobbling scene, which is much different in the book than it is in the movie, it's still it's pretty disgusting in the the movie that Raw Reiner did. And I understand why they changed it. It's still quite disturbing to watch, but it's much different than the hobbling in the book. And I think the the hobbling in the book, reading that. I was just, I, I just it just, it was probably one of those instances where I, you know, because I, I think I I visualize uh, books pretty well uh, and, and you know, to to feel your body reacting as if it's feeling uh, what's going on as you read, that's, I had to put that part down or, or maybe take a break after I got finished reading it. It was just, it was that, oh. Uh, to this day, it just makes me shiver thinking about that hobbling scene in the book. But uh, after that, I read It. And there again, It was another reason why I love Stephen King. Because uh, it's, you know, it's a long book. And it is a lot to take in. Especially if you're kind of new. I was relatively new to King uh, as far as reading uh, Stephen King. But uh, that's that's a lot. You know, you get a lot of characters. And I think that was probably the first incident where uh, it kind of came uh, face-to-face with Stephen King's style of story. Uh, a lot of Stephen King's stories bring, you, you have a lot of these different characters. And then they either start out as a group or they come together as a group to fight whatever evil Uh, that may be uh, haunting or terrorizing or whatever but uh, it was probably the first book i read that that really did that where you have this group of kids that kind of come together and form the losers club and uh excellent podcast by the way uh they uh kind of form together and and you get the the different, you know you get the the group in the fifties. And then you get the group in the eighties as they're older. And it's just a lot going on there. A lot with that story. And, uh, I, you know, Pennywise, the clown, iconic Stephen King villain. And, you know, just that character, the shape shifting, the, the scene with Georgie at the beginning, probably one of the, the few books that I wept reading uh, I wept at reading that uh, incident because I've got a younger brother and uh, it's, you know, you can't help but, uh, you know, there before the grace of God go I sort of thing. And I, you know, thinking about my brother and, uh, you know, being in Georgie's spot and me in the Bill character spot, just that, that, that broke me down. And even as a, uh, a teenager, that, uh, <laughs> that made me weep profusely. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say it, but uh, it, uh, great, great story. And like I said, one of my favorites, uh, I'm not going to get into the adaptations. Of course, uh, I think the 90 miniseries, the superior adaptation in, in some regards, uh, the new movies that just came out here within the past couple of years. Uh, Like I said, I will save that for another podcast. My feelings on that, because uh, I think we're going to be talking. This isn't a Stephen King podcast. Don't get me wrong. Uh, This is about all sorts of uh, different horror and bizarre things, supernatural things, superhero things. I like you know, grew up reading a lot of comic books, so we're going to talk a lot about that as well. But uh, but you are going to get a healthy. Dose of Stephen King when you stop at Odds Bodkin's uh, Curiosity Shop. So uh, we'll talk about some of this other stuff in future episodes. But next on my list of the first Stephen King books I wrote, or I read, uh, Skeleton Crew was the next. And uh, again, another group of short stories. And uh, I... I just couldn't get enough of his short stories at that time. You know, just delving into King. I think may I may have even read Skeleton Crew before it. Uh, the timeline's kind of fuzzy in my rattled brain, but uh, the Mist, the first story, uh, more of a novella than a short story. It's a little bit longer, but it is probably one of my favorite. Uh, like I said, uh, it uh, the not it uh, the <laughs> that's a novel, uh, but the Mist and uh boogeyman like i said my two favorite short stories of stephen king i, I just love the mist i loved the the situation the uh creatures uh, pouring out of some you know it was never confirmed but you imagine these creatures and this mist pouring out of this rift at the arrowhead project uh it just it left a lot to the imagination and the imagination could go wild uh, all these creatures that uh, the spiders and the scorpion thing the bugs and the pterodactyls—you know—all uh, those things—and and we didn't. I don't. I'd like to think that we didn't even see all or read about all the different kinds of creatures that came pouring through the mist. And and then the scene at the end with the with the creature so tall that you really couldn't see the underside of it because of the mist uh, was just uh, just haunting and creepy and. And then they, you know, you come to the end of it, and it does give you that little bit of hope that may, maybe they are going to make it. Uh, with the Hartford and Hope scene, uh, there was, you know, that's a that's one where I will mention about the adaptation uh, a little bit. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't really happy with it at first. Uh, I like Frank Darabont. I think he does a great job of adapting Stephen King properties. Uh, I liked everything. Um, I, the, the monsters, I I was a little disappointed that the monsters weren't exactly how I envisioned them uh, compared to how they're described in the book, especially the spiders. But, you know, the more I've watched it, the more I can I can look past that. That's a change. I, it's not going to make it or break it for me. Uh, the ending is what really bothered me because the ending in the adaptation, and I'm trying not to be too spoilery for people who haven't uh, watched any of this, but the ending in the adaptation, uh, not not the ending in the book, but it really took me going back and rereading and the ending in the adaptation uh, is alluded to. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Stephen King writes as David Drayton saying that, you know, he's got the gun, he's got so many bullets and there's so many people and if it comes down to it, you know, he'll do what he has to do. But uh, so I, I, I can appreciate now that Frank Darabont took... What Stephen King alluded to—he took the ending. You know, maybe the ending did happen, where David Drayton writes all this down at some uh, hojo uh, somewhere, and uh, maybe that did happen. And we've gone past that, and we've gotten to this ending that he didn't want to happen, but uh, but there where they were, and that's where, where it left him, And so I, I'm a much more forgiving of that now, and it actually is a really good adaptation. Uh, miss, you know, there, there's some things in it. That they, I think Mrs. Carmody, uh, Marsha Gay Harden did an excellent job. Uh, I think she was written a little too one note because I, I, in the book, I always kind of got that she was, um, not so much, uh, ultra conservative, uh, far right Christian. Uh, I got it as more of a, a kooky kind of, you know. Old Testament Bible, uh, into odd, weird, supernatural superstitions and things like that. It wasn't, it wasn't just one note. Oh, she's the, uh, she's the ultra Christian. And, uh, so I, I didn't like that because I, I like to consider myself a Christian and, uh, you know, I, you know, you paint a character too. One, it's easy to demonize people like that, and uh, I don't. But Like I said, we'll get into that. We'll probably talk about the mist uh, in more detail and the adaptation. But all in all, uh, uh, one of my favorite adaptations of a Stephen King work, Here There Be Tigers. uh, Again, I wasn't going to go through all these originally when I started uh, thinking about this podcast, but uh, here we are. And Here There Be Tigers was such a fun little odd story that, uh, you know, uh, there's no way this happens, but... Here we are. That's where this uh, this uh, kid in the story finds himself in the restroom. He's got to pee, and there's a tiger in the restroom. How it got there, I don't know. I don't need to know because uh, because I don't. Uh, and that's the beauty of Stephen King. You know, everything doesn't always have to be explained. And sometimes he does. Sometimes I think he feels compelled. The power of explanation compels him. But sometimes in this instance where he doesn't explain how this tiger got into an elementary school bathroom, and I just love it. Uh, I think there was a lot of pent-up aggression towards his elementary school teacher uh, of of some um, number of years prior. But the Monkey, uh, a really bizarre and good story. Kane Rose Up was quite, uh, I mean, especially in today's age where shootings are happening, that that seems, uh, you know, looking back, that seems a little too real. Uh, Mrs. Todd Shortcut was a, uh, Mrs. Todd Shortcut and the jaunt of the next two stories. And I didn't appreciate them as much then as I do now. And two two of my favorite stories uh, in in, uh, in this, uh, and, and in general, I think, uh, Stephen King short stories, uh, the wedding gig was kind of, uh, it almost felt Bachman-esque, it was less supernatural, more like, uh, like a crime story, uh, about mobsters and stuff like that, which, okay, uh, Paranoid of Chance, interesting, uh, The Raft, Word Processor of the Gods, The Man Who Would Not Shake Hand, hands. Beach World Representage, Nona, the next stories on these are all just fantastic uh, bits of horror and sci-fi and really all of them, all of them great stories. Uh, for Owen, it uh, was interesting, of course, for his son, a survivor type. I, I love that. The whole idea of this guy stranded on this desert island and what he would do to survive is just a, a really fascinating uh, dive into the psyche of, of of man and what man will do to to survive. And I, I really enjoyed that. Uncle Otto's Truck was a, a weird story. Uh, interesting. A bizarre ending. Uh, and then the next two, uh, Morning Deliveries, Milkman 1, and then Big Wheels, A uh, Tale of the Laundry Game, Milkman 2. Uh, from what I understand, both those stories came from a, a Milkman book that was never published. Published a novel that was never published. I'm assuming these were uh, because they're vaguely intertwined, uh, but uh, bizarre, odd, odd tales. And the uh, the Big Wheels one, I I kind of, uh, I you know, I'm reading it and thinking, oh, this is this is weird. Uh, But I was fascinated by the fact that they're from a small town in Pennsylvania, and they're drinking Iron City, which that's big here. Uh, horrible. I think I always look at Iron City and Iron City Light as beer for people that don't like themselves or don't really like beer. But uh, but the cool thing about Iron City is that they're always doing commemorative cans and bottles uh, with the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Steelers and of course this, uh, this came out uh, this story came out in, in 1980 and that was kind of the end of the Steelers, you know Uh, first four Super Bowl run and they're you know they're talking in the story about the uh, Steelers being on the Iron City I can't remember if it was cans or bottles but that fascinated me being a Steelers fan but then uh, Grandma uh, such a classic story that again another one of my favorite stories from Stephen King and another reason why I love Stephen King I remember seeing I think it was on the 80s revival of the Twilight Zone. They did a a version of Grandma, which I probably saw that before I read the book, and uh, I remember reading the story, and it sounded you know all the notes started sounding familiar. I was like, oh, this is that story from Twilight Zone, but of uh, the flexible bullet, and is is a odd odd little story but it just uh, I enjoyed it so much just the thought of these little elves or whatever they were in the typewriter just uh was fascinating to me and it kind of plays off of sanity and and, and alcoholism a lot of things I'm sure Stephen King felt he was going through at the time and then the reach wraps up uh the skeleton crew uh short story book and uh, again this is one of the reasons why I started reading Stephen King. And of course, uh, in in my wrapping up the first few books that I read from Stephen King, I read The Stand uh, in probably 90, 91, probably 91. Um, it was when they came out with the uncut, the unabridged edition of The Stand there uh, in 1990. And I probably got it after that. Uh, came out and, and the stand there again uh, another book where I I think I would like to read it the the edited version the original seventy eight version uh, just to see because there were, there were some some instances in the uncut stand where things seemed to drag a lot uh, you know it's there again like i said stephen king as he said on many occasions that uh, writers are, are adders they're not takers away and, and and that's the problem he's had writing for television sometimes that he wants to keep adding and they want to keep taking away because you got to get the you know the the commercials in for preparation h and uh wheaties and things like that but uh but I, I'm glad I read the uncut version. Uh, but but there it was it was kind of a long read and a hard read because there were some some sections that kind of slowed down the pace a little too much. But uh, but again the stand another one of those great stories where you know this is I think probably. It and the Stand, uh, two instances where I really got to to read about Stephen King's one building of characters coming together and the world building, because the the world building in It and the world building in the Stand are just probably some of his best, I think, and uh, probably what I love most about reading Stephen King is the the worlds he builds and the characters he builds. Uh, he builds characters better than many. Better than anyone. I'll go out on that limb. And I'm a hefty guy. And I don't like to go out on limbs. Uh, especially once it starts to thin out at the end. Because I don't want to uh, break my crazy neck. But uh, but I'll go out on that limb. And say Stephen King is probably one of the best. If not the best. At, uh, at building characters. And uh, that's one of the things I love. You know, I like the fact that... Uh, his characters are going to face a rabid dog. I love the fact that his characters are going to face some sort of shape shifting clown, or they're going to, uh, go stay in a haunted hotel or that they're going to, uh, even in some of the later books, uh, face cell phone zombies or, or, uh, get chased down by a pirate ship that some dude painted. Uh, but it's the characters, you know, I love the supernatural elements. I love the horror elements that he writes his stories. And that's the, that's the hook that gets me, but it's the characters that he writes that keeps me coming back for more because he writes characters that are believable. He writes characters that you can empathize with. He's right. characters characters that you recognize because you can see a little bit of him in the characters and you can see a little bit of yourself in the characters and i think that's one of the fantastic things about stephen king that uh, like i said made me a fan and kept me and keeps me coming back for more and i've i've not read all of stephen king's books there have been a lot i went through a long stretch here until just recently uh, where i hadn't read in quite a while uh probably in the past geez um i couldn't tell you i'm reading currently reading uh the outsider by stephen king And I got a few other books that I'm planning on reading uh, Stephen King and other uh, authors, but, uh, but there was a there was a good ten year period where I just got so caught up in work and and life and everything that I just never took the time to read. Uh, you know, I would read little bits and pieces here. Uh, you know, I'm I'm still working on several other books that I I started reading and I put down and never picked back up again. Uh, so I've got some books I need to finish uh, as well. But. Uh, but I decided recently, especially re- listening to some of these uh, Stephen King podcasts, uh, I got I got to give some shout outs to to podcasts like uh, the King Cast, uh, the Losers Club, uh, Mick Garris's podcast. Uh, you know, listening to podcasts like that uh, really got me excited about Stephen King books and like and just reading in general. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot how good this book was, or how good that book was, or you know. Things of that nature, and and why I love reading, uh, especially Stephen King, but just reading in general, uh, the characters and things like that. So I decided, you know, I'm gonna. I watched the the HBO uh, adaptation of The Outsider. I thought it was really good, and I was like, I- I'd like to see how close this is to the book. And so I started reading that, and I'm I'm part way through that. Uh, not not terribly far. Uh, maybe. A not even a quarter of the way through the book yet, but I've been pleased at how, how close it is. I'm uh, I'm I'm interested to see if it continues that way. So uh, I'm excited to, to finish that book and, and get started on some other ones. And like I said, we're going to be talking here at the shop about uh, not all of Stephen King's books. Like I said, this isn't going to be a Stephen King podcast. I'm not going to go through and give my thoughts on every one of his books, but I believe there will be some special uh, Specific novels of his that I, I truly love and some specific short stories of his that I truly love that will kind of delve into those stories and the, the horror of them and the fantastic uh, writing and the fantastic character and world building of them. And uh, we'll talk about the stories and the adaptations. Uh, we may do a, some, some lists uh, of some of my favorite Stephen King adaptations, uh, that sort of thing in the, uh, in the future episodes of the podcast. But uh, really, I wanted this episode to be kind of uh, a little bit of my King Boda Fetus and what really got me started uh, watching Stephen King movies, reading Stephen King books. And it's one of those uh, instances where uh, for, for many years, I devoured anything I could get on Stephen King, even some of his nonfiction, like uh, on writing, I think is a brilliant book for anybody that uh, wants to get into the writing game. It's something I've dabbled in. I've started a few short stories, but I've never really finished anything. And that's that's another thing I'm kind of working on uh, right now is uh, is maybe maybe fleshing out some of those stories and. And, uh, see and see what might become of them. Uh, don't don't worry, I don't have any delusions of grandeur becoming uh, the next great American author, but uh, I think it'd be just fun to have some stories to share with uh, my family and friends and, and maybe maybe you good patrons of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop sometime in the near future. So we'll have a lot to talk about uh, in, in all genres of... Uh, uh, of books and, you know, not genres of books, but, uh, but all, all different types of authors and different types of, of horror. Um, uh, I, like I said, in the, uh, welcome, uh, package that I did that, uh, I love, uh, authors like Ray Bradbury. Uh, I love authors like Richard Matheson, a huge fan of his short stories and novels. Um, Shirley Jackson, some of the classics and the, uh, the newer classics. And, uh, you know, it's an, it's one of those things where I would like to be, you know, I got so fixated on Stephen King for so long that I kind of, you know, really didn't seek out any newer horror authors and see what they're doing. I, I think I have kind of delved into Joe Hill, but he's kind of, you know, very, very King-esque. You would have to be being the son of the King. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but I like some of his stuff. I've, I've, started reading his is a couple he has a couple things that i i started to read and uh, never finished because i was just you know place where just reading wasn't a priority so uh joe hill will be talking a lot about his stuff and uh movies books all sorts of uh television shows some really cool uh horror anthology series out there and horror series in general out there and we'll be talking about all that in the future but really Stephen King's a huge influence on my love of horror and my love of the supernatural and uh, love of comics and superheroes and all that and really one of the main reasons I started doing this podcast so I figured I'd uh, share that and coming up next week on the show we're going to be taking a little trip down Fear Street. Yes, R.L. Stein had the Fear Street series back in the what was it, the nineties? Uh, I didn't read those. I wasn't an R.L. Stein fan. Uh, not that I wasn't a fan of his. I just never read his stuff. His stuff was a little more. Uh, by the time you know Goosebumps and all that came out, I was I was much older. I was reading Stephen King. I didn't need Stephen King light. Uh, but I did watch the show goosebumps with my younger brother who he was kind of, you know, he's a millennial. He was born in 82 that's, you know, kids of that era really, uh, I think was their gateway to Stephen King, uh, back in the day. And, uh, but they did this uh, movie trilogy, uh, for fear street for Netflix and I watched it and we're going to talk about it and I'm going to give my thoughts on it. Like I said, uh i'm not i'm not what you would call an rl stein fan i respect what he's done uh you know opening up uh, uh horror to a to a younger audience i think that's great but i'm coming at it purely from a you know taking these three movies on face value and uh, we'll, we'll find out what I think about them coming up next week on the Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop. So thank you for checking us out. You can, uh, like you said, get this podcast wherever you're listening to it right now, Spotifypodcast.com. Uh Spotify, on itunes and check out our facebook page odd bodkins curiosity shop for everything that's going to be coming up Uh, we're going to start posting some uh starting to get a little uh timeline a little schedule of what kind of episodes we're going to have in the future and so we'll be posting that and uh, any horror news any news on upcoming movies or any cool odd tidbits If you will, in regards to uh, horror or the fantastic or the bizarre or the unique, you're going to find those all right there at the Facebook page for Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back you never really get to leave odds bodkins curiosity shop